brother. And God bless you. Right. Good evening, church. Good to see you here on this beautiful Wednesday. Hope you guys are having a good evening. Hope your evening was less eventful than mine. I got home and uh, I was on I was on the phone with the customer and I heard my dad say, "Hey, bud." I just had like this gut feeling, I'm like what? I just sure enough. You think you could preach tonight? Let's do it. So we're gonna be in Second Corinthians, chapter number twelve. Second Corinthians, chapter number twelve, tonight. So whenever. Uh, pastor had asked me to preach. I have no idea why, um, but this was just the first text that came to my mind. No clue, but this was just the one I got stuck in my mind, and uh, I, I didn't have time to prepare anything else, so I just had to roll with the first thing that hit me. So Second Corinthians chapter number 12. Let me give my title now, because I always forget titles. We're going to talk about the gift of the thorn. The gift of the thorn. Specifically, how God works through our suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. We're just going to read three verses. If you're there in chapter 12, let's begin reading verse number 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you yet again for the opportunity that we have to be in your house tonight. just want to thank you for your word, Lord, the sure foundation that we have in it. And Lord, I pray that as your word is expounded tonight, that you would help us to, Lord, truly receive it with open hearts, Lord, myself included. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, what he means to us, Lord, and what he's done for us as we celebrate the beginning of this gospel story when we think of this Christmas season. We just thank you for Jesus. I pray that you be with me and help me to preach the truths of your word adequately and appropriately. Give everyone safety traveling home tonight with the conditions of the roads. We love you. Thank you for how many blessings. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. There was once a writer who records this story. Many years ago, a famous violinist died and had no family to leave his expensive Stradivarius violin to. So an auction was held to sell this violin. It was eventually purchased by another violinist for the sum of $20,000. Shortly thereafter, the new owner of this Stradivarius violin announced that he would play a concert with this expensive instrument. And so as the concert hall filled to capacity, the people were waiting in breathless anticipation. At just the right moment, he walked on the stage with nothing but his violin and began to play Paganini. He held his audience spellbound. His technique was flawless. His tone exquisite. At the conclusion of the final note, the audience instantaneously jumped to their feet and roared with applause. He bowed and simply walked off the stage. A few seconds later, with the applause still thundering, he walked back onto the stage, took his violin by its neck, raised it up over his head, and smashed it on a nearby piano bench, shattering it into pieces. Then he walked off the stage. The audience was horrified. They were stunned. 
A moment later, a second man walked out on the stage and stood before the people, and they became very quiet as he spoke these words. The violin on which the maestro has just performed his first selection, the same violin that he just destroyed was but a $20 violin. He will now perform the rest of the concert with the $20,000 Stradivarius. What's the message of this story? That the beauty of the music does not necessarily come from the instrument itself, but that who wields the instrument. This maestro, as the author so calls him, was able to perform this beautiful song with a $20 violin. Why? Because he was the gifted violinist. In this story, what we see Paul expound for us is that like this violin, many times we are weak vessels in our Savior's hands. But it's his strength and God's glory that is many times displayed through weak vessels like us. Notice what Paul says at the conclusion of our text, verse number 10. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Church, this may sound humbling to you. That might be a good thing, humbling to me. But the fact of the matter is we're weak instruments. We're marred vessels. But what God can do through us does not rest in our brokenness and our insufficiencies. God can use us because of our sufficiency in him and the strength that he possesses. And this is what Paul is going to lay out in this text. We see at the very beginning of our text here that Paul is given a thorn in the flesh. If I could tell you something about this thorn, there's a lot of debate as to what was Paul's thorn. A lot of people get frustrated about this, trying to figure out what in the world is this thorn that Paul was dealing with. The Greek word is actually can also be used as the word stake. So I want us to understand that this thorn that Paul is referring to is not a minor inconvenience. This is a big thing in his life that is having a big impact on him that is causing some sort of suffering, whether it's spiritual, emotional, or physical. We're not sure. But this is something that is really irritating to Paul. It's not just a mere inconvenience. Unfortunately, in our lives, there's going to be times where we experience these thorny trials. There's things that come in our life that we can say with Paul, this is more than a minor inconvenience in my life. For many of you, you're thinking of that thing right now, that thorn that you've been through, that thorn that you're going through right now, or that thorn that a family member or a loved one is going through in your life. We all experience these trials. But the question really is tonight, it's not really silly. What is the trial we're dealing with and why are we dealing with this trial? That's not really the questions that need to be asked based on Paul's narrative here. The question that needs to be asked is how can God use my thorn? How can God use my trial? How can God use my suffering? See, a lot of people come to this text and that's the issue that jumps off the page. That's what they want to talk about. What was Paul's thorn? Was it blindness? Was it headaches? Was it his heartache for the Jewish people not being accepting of the Gentiles? There's many different opinions and beliefs as to what Paul's thorn was. And I would submit to you that that's irrelevant. What Paul was dealing with is irrelevant because what is the emphasis here that is made in our text? My grace is sufficient for thee. Right? We must place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. 
And this is our temptation, right? When a trial comes to our life, that's the first thing we wonder. Why is this happening to me? What did I do to cause this? We try to figure out the problem instead of trusting God to use the problem to conform us more to his son. The old church father Augustine says this, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. Tim Keller says this, God will allow evil only to the degree that it brings about the very opposite of what it intends. Both of these quotes remind us that we will all face suffering, but our suffering is meaningful and God has a point to our trials. So as we look at this issue of Paul's thorn in the flesh and this issue of our suffering, what are four things that God can do through our suffering? Number one, what are the things God is trying to do in our suffering? God desires to keep us humble. Verse number seven, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me and catch this, lest I should be exalted above measure. Tim Keller says this, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives, but that we never were. One of the most humbling experiences in life is when you go through a trial. One of the things that reminds you of how insufficient you are is when you go through something that is out of your control. Humility is a very important Christian characteristic that we should all possess. But if we're honest, it's a really hard one to live out. But humility is necessary for the Christian. Jesus Christ's ministry was characterized by what? It was characterized by humility. He was born in an animal's feeding trough. His ministry did not. You don't see him ministering to the high and mighty and the rich. No, he was ministering to the people that society frowned upon. He lived a life of humility. And a Christian's life should be marked by humility. And unfortunately, we must sometimes go through the very humbling experience of suffering. And you know, this is interesting, seeing what Paul says in verse number seven, right? Lest I should be exalted above measure. To me, as I read this, I really see, if I could paraphrase Paul saying this, there's, there's one thing worse than being consumed by the thorn in your suffering, right? There's one thing worse than your suffering consuming you, and that's pride consuming you. That's pride. Paul realizes that pride is a danger to his Christian walk. Pride is the enemy of dependence, The greatest sin that we face is idolatry, and I believe that our greatest idolatry is pride. My biggest problem is me. (laughs) My biggest problem is not my critics. It's not my circumstances. My biggest problem is me. And as great of a Christian as Paul was, right, he was a superstar. He was a church planner. He was an evangelist. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. I mean, this guy's a superstar Christian, and what does he realize that It's one thing to be consumed by a storm, but it's a whole nother thing to be consumed by my pride. So we must ask the question tonight. Is your suffering making you more humble? 
Is it making you more dependent? Is your suffering helping you realize that you needed a savior at conversion and you'll always need a savior until our bodies are glorified in heaven? God desires for us to be humble. You've heard it a thousand times. God uses empty vessels, right? A life full of pride cannot be marked by a life that is full of the spirit. So it's easy to say that the thorn is the killer in this text. But according to Paul, the thorn is not the killer. Pride is the killer. Sufficiency in self is the killer. Dependency in self is the killer of this text. And notice what Paul says that I I think is interesting. Right. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Not a lot of times we we think when anything comes to our life, right? It's Satan's fault. But but I want to ask you something. Would Satan be upset with Paul being destroyed by pride? (laughs) No, Satan would be ecstatic for Paul to be destroyed by pride. Understand that humility may be hard. And the process of being humbled may be even harder. But for the Christian, a humble life is essential for the Christian walk. Right. God cannot use a life full of pride. And so he will do what's necessary in our life to bring about humility. So, again, the question is not what is the thorn and why is it here? The question is, what is God doing with my thorn? So, number one, God desires to keep us humble through our trials, struggles in life. Number two, to drive us to prayer. Look at verse number eight. This is simple. This is elementary, but it must be pointed out. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. What's Paul's instinct? Like, like what's the first thing that he does? What's his instinct when suffering comes his way, when a thorn comes his way? What does Paul say he immediately does? He immediately runs to God in prayer. Now, church, I know this is elementary, but how many times does a trial or circumstance hit our life and our first instinct is not to run to God in prayer? Our first instinct is to run to a friend that we know will sympathize with us or to a family member that we know will sympathize with us. I know that doesn't sound spiritual, but if we're honest, many times that's our instinct. Paul immediately says, I must run to God. The fact of the matter is, what is is the question here? What does God want in our life, right? Does he want prosperity? Does he want us to have wealth and good health? Is, Is that God's goal For our life. Is that what he seeks? Does he want us to be talented and gifted in Christian things? Church, this is what God wants more than anything else in your life. God wants dependence. This is why pride must be removed. This is why humbling must take place because God wants dependence. Right? When a trial comes your way, you should know this is out of my control. Where do I turn to? But To the Lord. Many times God brings trials into our life because he's waiting on us to bring that trial to him. And I think this is interesting, right? Because a lot of times, I think a lot of times we try to over spiritualize how we pray about God's will. So we'll we'll say prayers like this. If it be your will, if it be your will, if it be your will. I don't think it's a bad thing, but church, I, I want us to hear this. There's nothing wrong Asking God 
for what you want. Right? Paul wanted this thorn removed. That's what Paul wanted. Now, that was not God's will for Paul's life, but Paul asked God to remove it from his life. Look, pray to God in an honest manner. He already knows what you're thinking. Like, we understand that, right? God already knows what's going through our mind. He doesn't ask us to pray to him because he's unaware of what we're dealing with. He asks us to pray to him so that he knows we are dependent upon him. Here's the fact of the matter. It was not God's will for Paul's thorn to be removed. Paul's clear on that. But Paul had the faith to believe that God could remove it. And so pray specifically, right? God already knows. So what is our instinct? What should it be when trials come to our life? I know this is elementary and I know this is simple, but we must run to God. We must pray, right? If we're humble, that's number one, right? If we've been humbled, if we're living a life of humility, then we know when something is out of our control and we know when we need a power beyond our own to bear it. So number one, to keep us humble. Number two, to drive us to prayer. Number three, to realize that God is all sufficient. To realize that God is all sufficient. Verse number nine here. So Paul says in verse eight, I prayed three times for God to remove this thorn from me. God chooses not to. And what does God say directly to Paul? Why does God choose not to remove this thorn from Paul's life? He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. J.D. Greer says this, if total dependence upon God is the objective, then weakness is an advantage. Let me repeat that in case we didn't get it. If total dependence on God is the objective, then weakness is an advantage. If God wants us to realize that he is all sufficient, if God wants us dependent upon him, then what we must realize is that he truly is all sufficient. Here's the fact of the matter. I, and I don't, I don't want to downplay this because trials and sufferings are serious. And I did, I did not mean to downplay this, but here's the fact of the matter. This thorn that was in Paul's life would not destroy Paul. This thorn that Paul is struggling with would not destroy Paul. Why would it not destroy Paul? Because of what God has said. My grace is sufficient for thee. So I, I've said this before. We, we don't rejoice in trials. We don't beg God for more trials. There should be a grieving process through trials. Again, back to the point of being dependent upon God, right? God expects our grief because he wants our dependence, right? God expects our grief because he wants our dependence. That's important. But what's important for us to always remember as Christians is that we have a grace that is beyond our trials. We must always keep that in mind. God is all sufficient in our life. Think about this church. He paid everything to be your everything. God wants you totally dependent on him. And he wants sufficiency found in him alone. And this is the reality that he wants Paul to live in. Right? He doesn't want Paul Paul, Paul full of pride. He wants Paul to live in this constant reality that Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. 
This is the reality that God wants you to live in tonight and through your Christian life. He wants you to live in this reality that his grace is sufficient for you. What, what is sufficient? Like, let's think about that word. Sufficient means like if that's all you have, that's all you need. That, that's the idea of sufficient. God is telling Paul, Paul, this thorn, I'm still sufficient in the midst of your your thorn. I'm sufficient in everything that you may lose and everything that may be taken from you. I'm still sufficient. That's so we have to ask this question. Is Jesus our everything? And a lot of times when we go through trials, we realize that more than we do than when life is going well. Don't we? Right. When something goes wrong in our life, that's out of our control and God handles it. There's like this newfound dependence and excitement in how good God is because he removed our trial. But this is the fact of the matter. God is not good because he removed our trial. God is good because God is good. God is good because he loves us. God is good because he sent his son to die and accomplish salvation's plan. God is not good because he removes our trials. God is good because he is good. So our sufficiency must always be found in Christ and trials remind us of that. When we face things that are out of our control, we're reminded of God's goodness and presence in our life. So are we totally dependent upon God tonight? Whether you're facing a trial or not, are you totally dependent on God? Is is God all sufficient in your life? And then number four, as we'll wrap things up. God wants to give us strength through his power. Verse number nine, second part. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is one of the great ironies or paradoxes of the Christian faith is that strength comes through weakness. Now that sounds really weird, right? Like we must admit that sounds weird. Like if you take that to CNN and say, write a report on this strength coming through weakness, they're going to think you're crazy, right? This is one of the great paradoxes and ironies of the Christian faith. How do you explain this, right? How does strength come through weakness? That makes no logical sense whatsoever. How does strength Come through weakness. Christian, our spiritual strength does not come from us. Our spiritual strength comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And for when I am weak, then am I strong. Many times people have this idea like their insufficiencies or their shortcomings or the storms that they're facing are sin. No, your weaknesses are not sin. Your insufficiencies are not sin. The trial that you face may not be sin. But we have this idea like weakness is just bad. Weakness is all bad. There's nothing good that comes from weakness. But no, Paul is clear here that in your weakness, in your humility, in your brokenness, power comes through that. God's working comes through that. I think one of the greatest things in the Christian life is actually when you come out of a storm And you realize what God has done through your storm to bring you through. And you guys know what I'm talking about. That newfound dependence and comfort that you had in Christ. You have in Christ now that you maybe didn't have before the storm. That's that's a special feeling. 
When you come through the other side of something and you know for a fact this was God that did that because there's no other explanation. This was God that did that. It, 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 it makes you feel stronger in relationship with him, doesn't it? It gives you a new reminder of just how good God actually is in your life. Strength, God's strength is displayed through our weakness. Christians, we're weak vessels. We're marred. We fail. We mess up. And yet God is still using us. And in fact, this is the, this is the testimony of the whole, the whole Bible. <laughs> right? Jesus in the Old Testament is using someone like Elijah who comes out of nowhere. The 12 followers he picks in the New Testament, his disciples were not the, the big idols in, in their day. Right, Paul, Jesus calls Moses, and it's clear that Moses has a speaking problem, yet it's Moses who God uses to deliver his people out of Israel. We see it over and over and over and over again in Scripture that God does not necessarily use talented Christians. He uses dependent Christians. He uses weak saints. And I'm thankful for that tonight, church, that despite my brokenness and despite my shortcomings, God's power can still be evident in my life if I will just trust him and lean on him. Charles Spurgeon says this, Many men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. Many men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. You guys know the Christians like that. Maybe you have one in your family or you're someone in this church you're bringing into mind right now those Christians who have went through a lot of things and yet still praise Jesus. It's almost like they wear a badge of honor. They've went through these tremendous trials and yet they still praise Jesus. You see that God is good in their life when maybe life has not been good to them. Many Christians have this intimate experience with Christ because they realize what all Christ has brought them through. And so understand this, that your thorn, it may be tough and it may bring sorrow and it may bring pain, but how can it strengthen your relationship with God? Right? I would say this, that your thorn in the flesh is not a barrier to usefulness, but a gateway to usefulness. This is what Paul is saying here. Because this thorn in the flesh is in my life, I'm not full of pride. Because this thorn of the flesh is in my life, I'm constantly driven to prayer. Because this thorn of the flesh is in my life, I realize that Christ is all sufficient despite my trials. And because this thorn of the flesh is in my life, I'm given God's strength through my weakness. Church, we must ask ourselves the question, what is God trying to do through your thorn? We can spend forever trying to figure out why we face the trials that we face. Or we can look at what is God trying to do in my life? Do I need humility right now? Has my prayer life been better in my life before than it is now? Is God really all sufficient in my life? If I was to lose everything right now, if something that I value was to be taken from me, could I still say that Christ is my everything. And church, are you experiencing God's power in your life right now? Is God doing things through your life? Right? We, 
we talk about the Holy Spirit, life being filled with the Holy Spirit, like that's some mystical thing. But the reality is that all of us should be living Spirit-filled lives. The work of the Holy Spirit should be evident in all of us. Whether that's our character, our evangelism, our lifestyle, the Holy Spirit's working in our life should be evident to those around us. So we must ask the question, why is it not? Am I too full of pride? Is God not all sufficient? So the gift of the thorn. And then Paul says in verse number 10, Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. So what's Paul's big crescendo, right, to this text? What is my overall response to this thorn in my flesh? Suffering is a response. Pain is a response. Being inconvenienced, that's a response to the thorn in his flesh. But what's his overall response? Therefore, I take pleasure. Paul's rejoicing in the fact that, that God is doing the work in his life that he desires to do. I've said this a thousand times. God's goal for our life is not comfort, it's conformity. And it may be the thorn in the flesh in your life right now that is making you more like Jesus. Are we willing to accept that? Are we willing to accept God's plan for us? I've, I used to have this idea about, right, the prosperity gospel. We talk about that all the time, this false gospel that, that promises health, wealth, and prosperity, right? That all, sounds really, that all sounds really good, and that all sounds really nice. And I used to have this idea like, man, that's wrong because it promises too much. But what we learn from this text is the prosperity gospel is wrong the promise of health, wealth, and prosperity, that's wrong because it doesn't promise enough. And a comfort in Christ is far better than physical wealth. Sufficiency in Christ and dependence upon him is far better than physical health. And leaning on God and walking with him and having an intimate personal relationship with him is far better than prosperity. So view your thorn as the gift God is using to do what he desires to do in your heart and life. Dear Father, we just want to thank you again for who you are. And Lord, I, I honestly have no idea. I have no clue um, why this text was the first one that hit my mind. Lord, I don't know the circumstances in the room today. I don't know if there's people going through things. I have no idea. But God, I pray that you would just help us to be... We're reminded that you are so good. You're so good. And trials have a way of misleading us to believe that, Lord, you've forgotten about us or you don't care about us because of what we're facing. But, Lord, many times we're facing the things we're facing because you're desiring to work. And so I pray that you help all of us, Lord, myself included. I pray that you would help us, Lord, as you are constantly working in our lives, whether that be through blessings or through storms. Lord, you're constantly working through our lives, trying to conform us more to Jesus Christ, trying to make us more of who you desire for us to be. I pray that as life rolls and the circumstances roll and hit our lives and the things we face come to us, that we would not try to figure out what's going on and why is it happening, but we would look to your word and seek to be conformed more to, you, to your son through these processes. We love you. 
Thank you for how many blessings. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I think I was right on target there, don't you? I do. Thank the Lord. I tell you, be, in this Wednesday night crowd, I think there's testimonies of how God has used many in this auditorium here tonight. When we're weak, he's made us strong. And, uh, and he's doing it even now. So uh, take that. Appreciate that very, very much. Let's have everyone stand. And uh, again, let's thank the Lord for what he's done for us. And let's pray for Sunday and uh, the Christmas season here. By the way, do you know what the very first text message ever was? The very first text message. We all have our phones. 1992. You know what it was? Merry Christmas. That's right. Merry Christmas. So let's just start typing it. Let's start saying it. No, that was the very first one. Okay? Very interesting. 1992. Don't seem that long ago in some ways. Okay? But anyhow, that's good. And so let's say Merry Christmas. I like it. Don't you? Let's say it to one another. Father, thank you for the message tonight. Thank you for the messenger. Thank you, Lord, for... Yes, you will make, we need to be weak at times, and you do make us. Lord, you help us, but Lord, through it all, you'll make us stronger. Thank you, Lord, what you did in the life of the Apostle Paul. What a great example to us here. Lord, thank you now. Bless each one. Help each one that goes on the roads tonight. Keep us safe, especially I pray for the buses. Be with them and the drivers. Keep them safe, I pray. Again, we pray for all of our list. Be with our pastor tonight. Help them to feel better soon. We pray in your precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.